The property was at 2.6. That was the minimum bid, the minimum committed. The final offer was at 3.1, and the first offer came in at 275. So now, heading into the weekend, everybody knew exactly knew that we had 275, knew the terms we had on 275, and had an opportunity to beat 275. This is the Real Estate Addicts Podcast, episode 91, with your hosts, Ray Herto, RH Investment Group. Dan Rubin, RH Investment Group. Mark Savatsky, Choose Boston. Joining us live in the worldwide headquarters in South Boston, we have... Kevin Caulfield from Compass and Final Offer. And Tim Quirk from Final Offer. Excellent. How'd you guys hook up, uh, become business partners? So... Our other, one of the other co-founders, Judd Hoffman, and I have known each other for close to 15 years. And uh, Tim and Judd worked together in their previous life at eRecruit. And Judd and I, Judd's always been in tech and, you know, he had approached me a couple of times and said, hey, look, we're, you know, we're, we're almost getting out of eRecruit and, uh, you know, we're thinking about getting into real estate and, you know, talking to me about the tech and real estate. And so we you know, we had a conversation for probably two, three years. And then February of 2020, he said, Hey, you know, we're ready to go on this thing. Is it something you want to do? And so I said, sure, let's, let's have at it. And then COVID hits and we were right in the middle of it. And the timing of it couldn't have been better because you couldn't show any houses. Right. So there was nothing going on in Boston. There was nothing going on in real estate really in general. And so we sat there and we started to kick around ideas and and talk about, you know, what part of the transaction we would come in and try and impact. And that's where kind of final offer originated. Is final offer like a subsidiary of Compass or is it a completely separate entity? No, let's make that clear. Compass has nothing to do with final offer, right? So there, there is no affiliation at all. Okay, good. Um, Just wanted to make that. Any other disclaimers? No, I'm going to leave out. (laughs) There might be 12 of these, but I've covered (laughs) them. Yeah. Okay. So the so, genesis for final offer was what? There had to have been a pain point. Well, you know what it is? So, um, it's the Shark Tank story. This is yeah, the, uh, well, it's, you know, I was washing my dishes. It's 20, it, it was more 20 years of being in the business, right? And, yeah. and running into different scenarios and you just run into problems or, you know, pursue what I perceive to be problems that were in the industry, inefficiencies that were in the industry. And um, as we started to talk about them, you know, we we looked at, where technology was in the real estate space. And, you know, you've got tons of lead generation at the very beginning. And then you have, you know, your DocuSigns and your deposit links at the end. And there was really no one that was attacking kind of the meat of the transaction, which is the offer process. And so how are you get? how does final offer work? Yeah, maybe just, yeah. Who aren't familiar. High level. You want me to go for it? Yeah. All right, so the way final offer works is this. Imagine you're a consumer and I ask you a question. Have you ever made an offer and not have it accepted and wonder why? Yes. Ever sold a property and wondered if you left money on the table? Yes. Okay. And if you walk into an open house, what's that experience look like today? Shitty. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can you go give me all your information and I'm gonna, I'm gonna harass you, right? So instead, what if you walk into an open house and there on the TV is the price and terms of this, what the seller actually signed a contract stating they will sell the home for. It, I can see the look on the faces in the room. It changes the psychology of the buyer instantly. They have more confidence. But how does the seller then use that as leverage to ultimately get the best price in terms they can? Well, they need an agent to do it because they're the ones that are good at negotiation. And so you use this platform and the urgency of being able to disclose offers in real time and people can get alerts to drive urgency like you never have. So you'll know for a fact if there's market for your property and you'll start to see people come to the table that you never knew existed. And so we've had it. We just launched in Massachusetts a month ago and we've had agents get offers that have come through from buyers with their agents that they didn't know existed. And they were watching it. So is it, a, is it a marketing platform? It's so at the, at the core, it's a marketing and negotiation platform that is able to accept an offer. And so why, why do we say it's a marketing platform? It's additive to everything that you do surrounding publishing a listing on MLS, have it syndicated. But the reason it's a marketing platform is as just what we just talked about. You walk into an open house and you ultimately have a new experience to be able to provide to the consumer, right? 
Okay. What if it goes over? I mean, right? Like my pie in the sky price was 900, but it turns out the market really, you know, thought it was worth a million. And the only way to find that out is, is a bidding war with best and final rounds. And, you know, well, there's always a, that's what, that's what this is. It's open bidding, right? So if you picture coming into uh, with final offer listings, we've got two prices. We have the MLS price, which is essentially just a placeholder, right? Mm -hmm. There's no, it means nothing. It's a marker for people to come in and look at the property. With final offer, we have two prices with function and meaning. So we have the minimum committed price, which is the minimum that the seller has committed to take. And then we have a final offer price, which is the kind of your buy it now. So the so, minimum would be <clears throat> disclosed as well as the final offer. Is that offer. both or disclosed, the minimum and the? Yeah. Along, along with sets of terms that accompany each. So the minimum would have a, you know, a set of terms that the seller set forth that they will accept with that, uh, with that price. And then there's another, there's another set of terms with the final offer, which is typically clean for most people. The way that I try and pitch final offer to sellers is, you know, give me the number that if the first person that walked through the door offered it to you, you would walk away with and not and not look back on it. My feeling is that people don't really know what they want right. in, in selling their house in just day to day transactions. Um, that's that that's or, or they're way off. off from the market, right? Yeah. Well, they're but knowing what they want, no, they they know what they want. People just aren't asking them, right? When you think about terms that come in on an offer, typically they're not being discussed until the actual offer is in their hands, right? So we're flipping the script a little bit. And we're having that conversation when we're listing the property. So we're saying, hey, look, here's what we think offers will come in and look like. What's important to you? Are the dates important to you? Is there a lease back that's important to you? Mm-hmm. You know, how would you value uh, an offer, a, a cash offer versus an offer with financing? How would you value uh, an offer with home inspection versus financing, right? And so with those terms, you're able to assign values to them as well. So that if you get into a competitive situation, the terms that mean most may have positive values or the terms that are an inspection contingency may have a negative value attached to it. So are you, because ex- obviously a lot of a lot of buyers and sellers don't understand a lot of the terms that you just discussed. They don't yeah. understand no contingency offers. They don't understand, you know, all that stuff. So how does the process work for a seller? So do they reach out? They say, I want to sell my house. They... Do they already have an agent signed up for their listing or do they reach out to you or does the agent that they've already listed with reach out to you? How does that? It's a listing tool for the agent. So a lot of times right now, the agent is the one that's probably making the introduction to final offer to their client. It's starting to change a little bit as we market more direct to the consumer. Consumers know about it now, are asking their agents about it. I got a call this afternoon from from somebody who said, "Hey, I saw the house you sold last week. We're thinking about listing our home. We love we love the platform. You know, would you be interested in talking to us about selling the house?" Which is great. So the consumers the consumers like it. I mean, I think when you look at what we do, it's it's keeping the sellers in real time. They're getting real time updates on their home. When, you know, they're getting updates when people are requesting tours, they're getting updates when we're doing the showing. We're so the seller, not just their agent, is getting those updates along with the agent at the same time. Correct. And is there a shot clock that's going all, all the while? Like, So if, no, there's, there's, there is a clock and we, you know, the, our clock is called the offer window. But mm-hmm. the only way that the offer window starts mm-hmm. is if somebody hits the minimum committed or better and agrees to the seller's price and terms. And that will start an offer window for an agreed upon time set by the listing agent and the seller. Mm-hmm. So for instance, last week, we put one on on Wednesday night. And you know our goal is just to get maximum exposure on the listing. And so we wanna make sure that every buyer that's out there is able to get through the home and then make a decision on whether or not they wanna buy it. So we had open houses set for the weekend and I would do it just like I would, just like a normal listing where I'm like, hey, you know, we want to get to Monday. We want to get through the weekend, make sure everybody gets in, get to Monday. So I put a five-day offer window, which got us to Monday at five o'clock. That night, someone hit it and opened the offer window. So we had a, the property was at 2.6. That was the minimum bid, the minimum committed. 
the final offer was at 3.1 and the first offer came in at 275. So now heading into the weekend, everybody knew exactly knew that we had 275, knew the terms we had on 275 and had an opportunity to beat 275. So, so you got to be an uh, idiot though to bid 275 5 days early. I would just wait. I do guess, you though? I guess do you're you? you're starting the you're starting I, the I, I thought it was a I thought it was a it was a great strategy, right? Because Coming so you're trying, trying to, to scare you, everyone else. Exactly. Out. You're, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic between buyer and seller since the information is out there public, because how often have we been out there and, and whether we're buying a property or, or looking at a property, you call the agent up and, and they go, you know, we got an offer or two coming in or we're expecting an offer. Maybe it materializes, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's bullshit. Who knows? Right. It's, mm-hmm. this is kind of proving that that's real. So you're vetting these offers and, are there pre-approval letters? Like, what's that process like? Because anybody could just go ahead and say, I bid, bid. Right. But do they, wh- how do you hold their feet to the fire? Is there something so, in escrow? How does that work? Yeah, so we, so in order to make any offers on the platform, you've got you've to send a pre-approval or proof of funds through, much like you would today, right? We also have, we've got a partnership with Guaranteed Rate so that you can do it right through the platform and they will assign you what is your buying power and they will do, a conditional approval that's only subject to appraisal. They'll take it that far. So we get a little bit of pushback in that so that we let the buyer's agents upload their pre-approvals and proof of funds just to, for ease because everyone said, hey, I want to use my, I want to use my lender, I want to use my bank. And think of, you know, the way that we our partnership is with guaranteed rate, it's more of like a preferred lender on a project, right? And you don't have to use them, but if you, you go through them, they can they can approve you. So with that being said, you know, it's, it's in some ways, it's the same process on the pre-approval that you would have, you would have today. And I'd say the one other thing is that, so the agent and the buyer that's representing them have to sign a contract up front with final offer stating that they're giving their agent the ability to make the offer for them and they're committing to purchase the property if they win. And it's the same thing on the sell side is that the seller and their agent are signing a contract stating that if anyone makes an offer for their minimum price and terms or higher, they're committed to, to sell it to them. That doesn't mean that a buyer can't put in an offer in for anything that's less than what they want or for any other terms. So that's the big thing that we learned when we went and tested this last year in Boston with about a dozen listings. It was more of a set it and forget it type of model where it gave more leverage to the buyer, frankly. And we learned very quickly, we need to actually build a negotiation platform because that's what doesn't exist. And so that's what we've done. So we've actually built the solution to have courtesy on both sides of the transaction, both buyer and seller, where actually the buyers now are making the decision. Think about it this way, essentially a shop themselves or to be able to pay maybe a higher price or different terms to just take it off the market immediately. Take a quick break from our episode to recognize our sponsor, First Boston Capital Partners. Dave Grossman, who joined us on the pod recently as a principal there, leads a great team, very fast and flexible. If you need financing to build your building, reach out. We'd love to give you an introduction. You say that they're committing to buy the property, right? But here in Massachusetts, at least, you know, you know, you're not, you don't go straight to purchase and sale. If you accept the if they accept the offer, they make a final offer, and then two weeks later they're like, "I'm I'm not I'm not, I'm done." I'm cold feet. Well, if they, if they hit the final offer more often than not, there's no contingencies in there, so there'd be no financing, no inspection. It's just a clean deal at the number. Yeah, but I mean, they still haven't signed a PNS, right? They haven't signed a PNS, so, but I mean that that's you know in over. I think we've done over. Why can't they have an inspection? You kind of lost me on that. So that's that's like your you know your. Your reach. You're like, yeah, that's like take your, That's like my dream, Ideal. like number. Yeah, yes. sure. Like, okay, yeah. understood. And so, some and some people have allowed inspections there. You know, what I'm encouraging people now is to do pre-inspections so that we hmm. upload those to the to the listing on final offer, and that way people can come in and make inspect make offers without inspections. Or so the seller offer. would get some kind of third party inspection. Yeah, I mean, they're all essentially they're all third party, right? But, it's like tangent, but I don't home inspections. <laughs> Horseshit. <laughs> Just say no. Yes, they are. Dude, Sometimes builder, they find some low. All of the things that I really, really care about, you can't tell. <laughs> right? You can't. But you're you're a seasoned guy. I mean, you're always buying and selling real estate, right? I mean, you get someone that's in there that's a first time home buyer and they take everything that the home inspector says literally. Right. 
you get a punch list that's eight pages long, mm-hmm. you know? So what, we, what we've done with the pre-inspection, though, is just try to identify big items. So if a you know, home needs a new roof, right, or if it needs a new boiler, mm-hmm. and just say that, hey, sellers, disclosing that the, the home needs a new roof and make all, of your, make all of your offers knowing that the buyer is going to assume the cost of the new roof. But yeah. to be clear, I mean, that's, that's a seller's prerogative, right? We've had mm-hmm. some people do that. More of what we're seeing is that if they see that a property is heating up, the buyer will come in and do a pre-inspection <laughs> prior to putting an offer in, yeah. right? And so then they have more certainty to be able to move forward in the process. But So I guess, how does like a, a buyer know? So, right, like I, I'm listing a property for somebody and I put an MLS, mm-hmm. but I'm using final offer. Sure. Like, how do I tell people, like, do I tell how do I tell the buyers that I'm using, does, do you, does final offer tie into MLS or like how, how does that transition work? Yeah. So today it does not tie into MLS in the DC market where we launched and we've had over 200 properties go through the, the platform. We're talking with the MLS down there in terms of integrating. So that is a much smoother experience mm-hmm. and they want that for their agents because it's going to save them a lot of time and effort when it comes to this where we'll actually be able to disclose data going back and forth, right? But initially just being able to push the listing to final offer so that they can then do one data entry to get it onto our platform. Yeah, it's kind of like how Zillow and all those other data aggregators, they just crawl in. Right, and then it's about disclosing how the offer is done, right? So if you look at the different rules that the MLSs have or some of the associations, they're like, hey, you can't point consumers to other websites to do X, Y, Z. But this offer process, this negotiation is something that's new. There's only a couple sites that have been doing this. They've been more traditional auction sites for like REO type properties or bank over, right? It hasn't been for the the actual common residential real estate market. And Mm so as we're having discussions with these folks, the consumer is actually going to these bodies. I just had two more this week saying, we want you to be able to disclose this through the syndicated site so that if they're looking at it on Zillow, they know that the offers are being managed through our platform because they can get the real-time data around pricing in terms of what's happening. Yeah, I lost 10 grand in 2008 on an investment in a group called Countdown to Buy. And their whole thing was bank-owned property representation. It's kind of like eBay for bank-owned properties. It never took off. Never took off, never saw that 10 grand. No. Mm. It's okay. <laughs> was that your was that your uh, angel investor like hat like if I if I can just hundred x this that'll be good. Yeah, that was. <laughs> you never know. I mean, where, where was the company out of Connecticut? My well, there's the first problem. Both went in on it. Sketchballs from yeah. Connecticut. Yeah, um, oh, I'm from Connecticut. <laughs> I don't I don't mean to compare your product to Countdown to Bid. Well, thank you. There's no and also I'm being bombastic about the home inspection comment, but there's some truth to it. I'll stand behind it. Well, the whole the whole auction thing though, right? Like people were calling yeah. us eBay. And then as yeah. they start to realize what it is, they're actually you guys are more like Amazon and the fact that you can be going down. So we've had so many properties where people have put an offer on where the buyer and seller have actually agreed to say, okay, we're both gonna take it, but will agree to shop it for the next period of time. So imagine it's counting down until tomorrow at five o'clock and the seller and the buyer on the hook to take that offer if no one else comes in. Mm-hmm. But then tomorrow comes and someone makes another offer, it's higher. And then another one comes in another, that's where final offer is kind of like an auction. However, the seller can change the terms at any point in time. So we had a property, there was a property in Natick a few weeks ago that went on the market for one six and they put a final offer price on it for one nine. So the seller was committed to take one six with their ideal terms, but they would allow financing, allow home inspection, allow a whole bunch of things. The first offer that they, they ultimately negotiated with the buyer was one seven clean terms. So what they did was they said to the rest of the market at this point, moving forward, we will not accept another offer that comes in with financing, home inspection, no free rent back, no free rent back. This is what we want moving forward. They ultimately got another buyer came in at one eight, and then the, the buyer that had bid one seven went all the way to one nine and shut it down. Hmm. And it was over two hundred dollars square for higher than any comp in, the, in Natick over the past two years at that price point or higher. And it was a reno, it was a remodel from two thousand thirteen, and the one that was the closest from there was brand new construction. So it's showing if you're able to put that out there to the buyer community and give them confidence in what they're actually making an offer, and what it takes to get there, they'll go higher. We have an Marvel head yesterday. I had the same question, by the way. Why would someone ever put an offer in higher than the minimum? 
yesterday, 799, 799,000. Final offer price, 999,000. I gotta say, each of these bidders who've come in early did not do themselves a service in the end. Some of them are their, their strategy may, like my, your guy at 175, well, I said, why would you do that? Might've been a brilliant strategy, but he didn't end up with the house. No, he ended, he did end up with the house. Well, he paid a lot more. He scared, he scared a lot of, I don't think so. I think there yeah. were people that were right there at the, mm-hmm. just cause I had talked to everybody. I mean, we had probably close to 30 parties that were through there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, it was a, it's a high watermark for the neighborhood there, but not by much. There was one that had closed in the neighborhood probably two months ago. That was right around, it was a two seven. So he was, he was slightly higher, but you know, it wasn't in the grand scheme of things over 20 years, it's it, it, he did what he had to do to get the house. Right. And rather than getting other people in there and letting them get charged. And then, you know, what we've seen is when people get in the process and the competition piece of it starts along with it being an emotional purchase to begin with, people will chase it. Like with like DC is a big, they're a big escalation clause state, uh, hmm. state, right? And so as we've gotten in there and done deal audits after the fact, talk to the people, not only the people that have won, but the people that have lost. And they said, hey, look, if we would have written an offer in, you know, without final offer, we would have had an escalation clause and we would have escalated to this number. And we've seen time and time again where at, when they're caught up in the moment, they blow through that number and they will continue to continue to bid on the property. So- there is a little bit of that that competition that gets you know that gets people especially when it's two people and it's competitive back and forth. The other piece is you know we've had others where we're up to what ten offers, yeah, that have come through yeah, even more. And we had one two weeks ago where the agent thought there was only one offer coming in. They called and said, "What do you guys think we should do?" We just tell you what your options are. They decided to wait. It went up. It was a, it was at a million even. Mm-hmm. Went to one point one six, and they had ten different buyers come in. And go up. We've had others that have been on the market for between anywhere from 950,000 to 1.2. It might just show some bit about that specific market. All the agents are doing is telling the buyers and their agents how the process works. And if you don't want to take a risk of losing it, the final offer price and terms are always there if you just want to go buy it now. And that's the reason that people are equating us to Amazon more mm-hmm. than eBay. They're making the offer, the first offer, they're going 20, 30% higher just to be able to take it off the market. So some people might say, hey, did they leave money on the table? But the sellers are ecstatic. They never thought they were going to get there. These are, these are record-setting offers in each one of these neighborhoods by anywhere from 5 to 15%. It's just showing how the transparency is helping folks. But the other thing about it is, let's say you did think that it started to run and you're like, oh my gosh, we put this final offer price too low. You can move it. Because it hasn't been accepted yet. It hasn't been accepted. So time is of the essence. So why not? So if you see it going up, just remove it. And Uh now all of a sudden, there's no ceiling anymore. So the buyers aren't just competing now with the buyers. They're also competing with the seller making a change after considering what's happening in real time. Two questions. Number one, if I'm just a traditional agent representing a buyer, do I have to use the platform, essentially? If it's under final offer, do I have to submit it that way? That's a yes. Yeah, so, I'm, so yeah, I'm trying to understand. Sorry, Ray. I'm trying to understand the dynamic between the listing agent and final offer, and who's getting the offers and reviewing them. I'm trying to understand that whole dynamic. There, there is no review anymore. You're just you're making offers through the platform. Okay. So, so when the seller signs, when the seller signs the agreement with final offer. They're stating that they they are acquiring all offers to be submitted through the platform. And if you do that legally, you know, the seller only has to recognize offers that come through the platform, right? And it's beneficial to you, especially if it's in a multiple bid situation and you're making paper offers. By the time you make your paper offer, the next offer just comes in 10 seconds later, higher than you. And when you write another paper offer, you know, you're going to get bounced out of the thing quickly. Yeah. And it's much easier. So like that, look, the way to to write the offer, when you get on your phone after submitting pre-approval, you can make an offer in two minutes. Mm. Well, who reviews the pre-approval to kind of get you? The listing agent does, just like they do today. Okay. So you're not doing any of that back-end work? No, the agent's the, it's the, we're we're a tool for the agent. Okay. How do you guys get paid and, uh, you know, how does your, does your fee structure work? As of right now, it's free for agents. Mm-hmm. In June, we will start charging. It's a subscription base. Mm-hmm. So it's either 200 per listing 
or 500 a month for unlimited listings. Oh, that's cool. I thought you guys were going to say you take a percent of the sale. No, that's no, it's oh, just it a is. listing tool. And so, but so there's rumors around Massachusetts because when we launched a year ago, mm-hmm. we tested, we never went through with anything, but we wanted to test different value propositions. And one thing, look at how competitive the market was, right? So we would ask buyers and their agents, do you think it would be valuable if you paid to know what it would take to win the house? And so even the first buyer that had come through, he's like, okay, what's the catch? This is too good to be true. And we're like, well, we're thinking about charging you 1% on top of everything else to know. And then he's like, that seems pretty rich. And I'm like, well, you've lost 17 times (laughs) and you've (laughs) overbid by hundreds of thousands and not been able to buy a home in Hingham. Now, you know, is it worth $18,000 series? Like when you put it that way, yeah. But at the same time, what we didn't realize was that the agent community thought we were coming after them because of it. And so we're like, whoa, that's not the intent. We're just trying to understand the value prop here. So very quickly, when we went to DC, we're like, no, that's not how we're going about it. This is a software tool for real estate agents. Mm -hmm. And this is cool because this gives the whole agent community new tech to bring to the consumer. Consumer loves this, right? So look at everyone else that's out there trying to get tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, trying to go direct and cut the agent community out because they feel like it's a waste. When, When you start to look at where agents actually provide value in this transaction, there's a ton of value for it. I think the most value the agent brings is helping the seller identify what the max price is or the minimum price. Because absent their guidance, I, I just and, don't and know them that the seller really the, knows, yeah. is help. confident enough to put the max price. Or to help them understand the taking the whole negotiation process. side of things out. I, th- I think the terms of the offer is overrated. Like well, I see all these articles, like seven ways to get your offer accepted without paying more. And so it's like, fuck off. Like I'm a seller, mean, I want your dollars. You For the most, my, by and large, I want your dollars. You, you mean do. my You're handwritten right. letter with my story and yeah, my family no, photo I mean doesn't mean anything? And you know, the whole like <laughs> sure, finance your thing. If my house is worth that stuff doesn't you don't do that stuff. You can't submit that type no, of stuff. No, there's no love letters in front no, of offer. No, no, no. That's uh, nice. So for someone like you, it would it, it would make a ton of sense yeah. because all you're after is the highest price. Right? Easy. And there, there are, and there are a lot of people that fall into that category, right? And then there's certain people that maybe are a little bit more sentimental and a more picky that uh, on who they want living in their house. It sounds like Mark has absolutely, problem. Mark has no heart, yeah. cold hearted. <laughs> yeah. So, so I just want, I, I want to just close the loop real quick because I had a second question and we went through a lot of others here. You just mentioned that we can, you can remove that cap, if you will, or that, that quote, unquote final offer. But what if you were saying earlier, if somebody makes that initially, let's say that's the first offer in, is that it? Is it over? Or you can still mess with the game? No, if the first buyer hits a final offer, that's, that's the beauty of it, right? Yes. Two years ago, I mean, you come in and you make an offer. It's the make me move price or whatever. Kind of, yeah. Mm, But I mean, you make an offer, you you could make an offer a hundred thousand over with no contingencies and the agent would come back and say, ah, well, we're going to, we're going to wait and see what happens. And it's like, okay, well, what, what, what's the number then? I mean, from a buyer's standpoint, the, the leverage was always, well, our buyer, well, our offer is good for the next 24 hours and that's it. And that was the buyer's leverage. So it's kind of taking the leverage out of the buyer to a degree. I can tell you from experience over 20 years that people do not pay attention to that, right? Like you make an offer with a deadline and they'll get back to you six hours later. Yeah. And you're, you know, at the end of the day, buyers still sitting there because they want the house or they want the property, right? So it's like, at least now, the beauty of final offer really is that when, the minute you submit your offer through final offer, you, you know with certainty in real time that it went to the agent and it went to the seller. They have seen it. So there's no more making an offer and getting a phone call back and saying, oh, my, my client's on a plane to Germany. We'll get back to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, there's Wi-Fi on that plane. I know yeah, that, right? right? So now it's just, it's just a, another level of transparency. So everybody's getting it and you're getting some sort of response. And you don't even need a response. If you start the clock, this, you've, you've essentially bought the house, assuming no one else is coming in. Or the seller doesn't change the terms. Or the seller doesn't change the terms. No, well, they can't change the terms. Once, once the once the minimums hit, they can't change the minimum. They could change the final offer, but they can't change the minimum. So once you hit the minimum committed, you are, you, you know. Oh, you're commit. You're committed to selling at 
at yeah. that price okay. in terms, and the buyer's committed to buying at that price in terms, but it will open the window. It'll open the offer. Oh, I thought you mentioned that the, the seller could change the terms if they wanted to. Anecdotally, if I saw a seller- They could, they could change the terms if better terms came in with a new offer. So if you came in with a new offer that was totally clean, yeah. I could then change the terms to say that anybody else coming in on top of you would have to match your terms. I see. So that's the only way you could change the that's terms. Right. Or, oh, I see. So they're locked in until things start happening. And so how does that, so how does, I guess how does that work? So you would have to, so they, if someone submitted something that would the, would the platform flag that? and then notify if the terms were better than what the terms were set. So that way it can be adjusted or is that a manual process? So this is where, this is where negotiation comes in. So whether the clock started or if the clock had started and the seller is committed to take it, if there's another term that they want, the agents are going to be on the phone. They're going to have a conversation. And so they can make those changes and say, from this point forward, you're going to have to not only come up with price, you're also going to have to agree to these terms. Mm -hmm. And then from that point forward, those are the set of terms that we're using. So what agents have been doing is they've been, so as an example, let's say in DC, you go outside DC, you got four or five, $600,000 properties where there's a lot of demand for them. Appraisal becomes a big issue for that buyer. All right. And so what the agents are able to do is they're able to attract the most amount of buyers where they're allowing for appraisal and financing and whatever else they're dinging them by devaluing those terms which means that the buyer has to come up with more money in order to be able to continue to go higher but then they're able to ultimately use let's say the final offer to say hey if and they're on the phones having these conversations if you want it right now we can make changes to the terms. They're clean. Yeah. My seller wants this now at this point in time. This is where it is. And so they can make that decision. And so the negotiation, that's the one thing about this, is it sounds, with the conversation we're having here at this table, it sounds like there's no negotiation. This tool is actually the biggest negotiation sales tool that we've ever seen. And so when you look at the agents that have been using it, they've been like, for the first time, we've gone from collecting offers and reviewing them to actually negotiating in real time. Because... Here's what, here's what happens. What happens if you have something sitting on the market for months, right? You reduce price, you reduce price, you reduce price, and then what? Oh, right. Kevin, and somebody thinks something's wrong with it. Yeah. yeah, and then someone finally comes in with one and you take the first offer. Well, now you've got a different story to tell. So, you know, we had one, again, a month ago down in D.C. It was on the market for one and a half million. They said, oh, crickets. It's been on the market for weeks, no interest. They dropped it by $50,000 in final offer. Not on MLS yet. And they went to every single buyer agent that came through the property and they're like, hey, we're going to drop it on MLS next week, but we're giving you first look. You can see the seller signed the contract. They'll take one, four, five. Let us know if you're interested. Their phone rang off the hook. So from going to having literally no offers, no interest, they had four buyers come in and try and negotiate. Some in the one threes, some in the one fours. They finally came to terms with one at one, four, five. And they said, buyer, you have two choices. You can take for one, four, five. I'm going to shop you for an hour and final offer. It's your choice or come up to one, four, nine, and you can just take it right now. No one has the option to come back in. Hmm. That buyer chose the first option, option A, 1.45, shop it for an hour. What do you think happened? Another offer came in. Two other buyers jumped in and it went to one, five, four. Hmm. It went higher than what they yep. ever thought. So, so, so the vultures, well, I don't want to call them vultures, but the, the buyers were, were standing by seeing who's going to make the first move. And then someone did and that kind of. Right, but got everybody participating. Typically, what would happen, like if I had one of your, if I had one of Mark's properties listed, mm. he's all over me for four months. I can't sell it. Mm. He says, "What do you need to do to move it?" Now I got to drop it by fifty thousand. Okay, drop it. I drop it. First buyer comes in. Mark, I got the number. What do you want to do? Fine, sign it. Go. And that, and that's typically what happens, right? There's a lot of people get worn down. They want to. They everyone gets a little anxious. They want to sell. My thing is when you when you drop the price, you're, you're, it's almost a new listing at times, especially if it's a pretty deep drop, right? If it's a deep cut, then you need you need to let everybody come back in because I can't tell you how many times we've done that where we've dropped the price, someone's come in, first product buyers come in, they've bought it, and then the phone rings off the hook for the next two days, hmm. and they're like, "Hey, I want that. I wanted that unit, right?" So it works really well. It the other thing that you can do is you can keep your initial price in play and just keep it as your final offer. And so we, we did that two weeks ago with a listing we had in South Boston was on at a million dollars. We dropped it to nine forty. 
had an open house. Open house is jammed. First buyer comes in. They just hit the million. They hit the final offer just to take it out because they wanted it, right? So we ended up getting back to a number that we had been out there for four months by reducing it and then the threat of the offer being shopped, right? So that played, that for sure played into their strategy of hitting the million dollars. You know, it happens more than you think, right? But I think a lot of times agents just rush into getting the deal done, right? You don't know what the motivation level is. And from the seller standpoint, if I drop it, you don't really have any insight into how many inquiries I'm getting, right? I could just be like, all right, put it to bed. See you later, Mark. But I could do the right thing, let it breathe for a couple of days and try and get you as much as, I, as, as we possibly can. And that's kind of what Final Offer does. It runs, it sets process in place mm-hmm. so that anyone that's coming to Final Offer knows exactly what our process is with every single listing. And it's consistent week over week and deal over deal. And I think for the buyer community, that's refreshing, right? Because they see things get listed and go under contract the first day. And it's like, why would you put something under contract that you put on the you, you put on the market five hours ago? If the first person came through to see it, don't you think there were other people that were out there that would want to see it? Or somebody says, hey, we're going to run a process, offers are due Monday at noon. And then you get to the open house on Sunday and there's a sign on the door saying it's under contract. And you just, you sent messaging to people that you were running a process to Monday and then you put it under agreement on Saturday night. Why? Was the offer really that good? Was it good enough? And so a lot of times for the sellers, they don't know. They won't know, how, did that, did we leave money on the table? Was there a better deal out there? And I think that's, you know, that's, that's part of it, especially right now when you're in such a tight market. I mean, I think there's like two months of available inventory in Massachusetts right now. I mean, in a healthy market, it would be six months. There's a lot of buyers that are out there. There's a lot of people that are out there. I think that two months of, um, of inventory means one thing for next year, that there's going to be appreciation. Pricing could be up as much as 10% next year, right? So do you, do you buy this year in you know, what is probably an unfavorable market for rates? Or do you wait next year and pay 10% more? With all those people that are out there right now, just giving them the opportunity to buy the home. I mean, that's really what it's about. Everybody gets the same information on the property. Doesn't matter what agent they're using or you know what it, what company that agent works for. Everybody's getting it's right in their face. They're getting the clarity of what the seller's looking for, and then they can do what they want with the information. I have a potential scenario that I wanted to run by you. So, say I'm a buyer, I submit an offer. Yep. It starts the clock or whatever. Yep. Right. And then I'm another buyer looking at the property. There's been no other offers made. That first buyer has made an offer with some contingencies. I wait till the clock is like 10 seconds before it ends. Keep clicking I, refresh. You're at your computer waiting yeah. for that. that like yeah. 10 seconds or whatever before the, the clock runs. Sure. I submit. I used to do this I, on eBay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so I submit another offer. Same price. Clean offer, no contingencies. Well, you, you, well, you, you wouldn't be the same price. It would be if you had no contingencies and the and having a no contingency offer was valued higher, you would come in at a higher value. But if you waited till the last ten seconds and made the offer, it would reset the clock to twenty minutes. Oh, it would. Yeah. So anything okay. inside twenty minutes resets the clock to twenty minutes. Got it. Okay. So and then everyone gets. How do they people get that are. So that's the other thing. The people get notifications in real time, right? Well, but so is it like like Zillow where you go and you like save a property? You would say, I want notifications on this property. It's similar. You can do that. You can, you know, we've got a QR code at the, at the open houses or any private showings that we do. People can zap it and follow it from right there. You know, because how many times do I get a call or do a showing and then an agent's like, Hey, clients like it let me know if you get any other offers and that's <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. what this does right and it does it for every property i think that way that would like because that would be like as the buyer though i i would it would kind of it would piss me off as the buyer that submitted that first offer it was like oh i'm gonna get the house i'm gonna get the house and then like 10 seconds like someone else it's like oh someone else puts an offer in i mean i guess right. that, that would kind of annoy well me. then you could come but you but you but it's not done you still have an well, opportunity have to, to come back in well you have to pay more but <laughs> You know, what about, you know, you talked about best and finals. I mean, how many times do you go into a best and final and you lose by $10,000, right? The scenario, like, the scenario I see that that is not beneficial to the seller because I'm kind of 
scratching my head here trying to think of one, but it's the agent who has a good poker face and can convince you, you know, you think you've got a really good buy here and that there's a ton of other people circling and there's not. And you get pumped up by an agent and they see your excitement and they drive you up and there's really nobody else around you. So basically you're saying the agent that lies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all know that that is. Right. And so. And there are agents that pride themselves on, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to really turn Dan up. He seems excited about this. But, but. To that but I mean, seller, it was never a real number to begin with because essentially it's too high. It's not an unrealistic number relative to the market. No. Totally. But, it, you know, like, is that how... It's not typical. I mean, no. not untypical? No, I'm saying it's not typical. Like, you know, if you, know, if, you, if you really do think you have something great there and you're getting at a good value, there probably are other people actually. Totally, screaming, yeah. More than likely. Right. Yeah. And that and that's the property that's, you want to buy, right? Yeah. If you if like I always say that if you're buying a property where there's multiple people that are looking to buy it, either there's there's something that's good about it. It's either the price, the the location, the lay, you know, or or a combination of all three things, which usually means you're not going to have any trouble selling it when you you know when you outgrow it in three to five years. You're just in Massachusetts, D.C. right now. Goals to be nationwide, though. Yeah, we are. So. We oh, go into are. each market. No, we're we, yeah, we're in DC. So yeah. what they call a DMV. So DC, Maryland, Virginia, and then now Massachusetts. Yeah. So we're we're starting to get the data too. So we're gonna we're gonna ultimately grow across the country. And our goal is to become the de facto way that offer negotiation works within real estate. We were down in the NAR legislative conference earlier this week. I just came back this morning from DC. Canada is pretty interesting for us as well because they just passed legislation saying that they need more transparency in the marketplace. Mm. So they're starting to bring technology to the foray to do that. Nice. A lot of interest there. But what's interesting is about the data that we're starting to collect and starting to see trends. So in DC, the average sale price, list price is 98% across the board. With final offer, it's at 105. So these folks are beating the market by 7%. You've got teams down there that are using final offer that were beating the market anywhere at 105 to 107% before final offer. And now they're at 114. And they've won every single listing presentation they go into. And but that's so that's good for sellers. It's good for sellers. Right for but sellers. why is it good for buyers? Because now they actually have the information to just go make the offer and get it done. So to your point, like the 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 one that's gonna drive the person up, mm-hmm. well. Maybe that buyer just makes the final offer then. Or if there isn't, that would be a reason that maybe they go higher. Like the one that I was talking about Merlehead yesterday, the first offer came in at 930,000. It was listed at 799. Now is that, is, sorry, is that, are those numbers, that percentages of, of actual to, to list? Yeah. Is that based on the, the lowest I'll take a number or the final offer number? This is what it was listed for and what it sold for. Yeah, because we also, we, we also list the MLS list price on the, on the listing as well. So there could be three different numbers that are out there in some cases. You know, forgive me, because this is another unethical hypothetical, but <laughs> I guess it's where my head's at for some reason. What's to stop? Is this auditable? Like my, my other concern is that like Ray's brother well, I got a phone call with 20 minutes left on the auction. Hey, jump on this thing, throw in an That's offer. That's a great question. And it's gonna email an alert, Dan, Kevin, Tim, and Mark, and just, just go 50 grand up. Yeah, just 50. I mean, I, I know that yeah, these so are hypotheticals still, that just, well, they, well they people would, have to be good people. They would still have to be pre-approved. We yeah. have to see that they're real, mm-hmm. that they're qualified. Yeah. And then if that were the case and they tried to skate through it that way and, and get it done, I mean, if they were caught, it's a zero strike policy. So mm-hmm. you use it, you try to manipulate the system once and you're out. Yeah. So do you immediately, do you, like, I guess if you're interested, do you immediately submit your pre-approval for review that's what we're encouraging people to do, right? Is just to get to get registered on the platform. That way you're getting the alerts right away. You can start to see what's going on in terms of activity around it, how many people are following it, <clears throat> et cetera. When the when the open houses, when the showings are. Yeah, I mean, we've seen everyone's got a different strategy. Like you said, like why would they go in so heavy off the top? I mean, it's like anything else. People mm. have different strategies when they've done it. And you you would be the guy that would bid the minimum and yeah. continue to come up the minimum amount the whole way through. <laughs> like, that's your strategy, right? But, you know, I thought that the shot clock starts, the, the, the offer window, when you put it up. And that, that's why I thought, oh, don't, no, no. don't bid. It's like, it's like being a drywaller and submitting your bids are due on Monday and you throw your bid in on Thursday. Like, of yeah. course, that estimator is going to call everyone and say, I got a drywall bid at this. Right. 
you know. There, there is there is an option to kind of start the clock with no offers if you wanted to. If yeah. you just wanted to say, hey, offers are due by Monday at noon, yeah, you could start a clock. I think people, you know, we haven't, have we seen anyone do it successfully yet? There's actually one going on as we speak. So yeah. we're interested to see how it works because could it expose you potentially if you're running, yeah. you're running at like a deadline, but what happens in real life? They run into the deadline and you get their offers within the last 15 minutes. Okay, we, we the talk- difference is this is the public. Yeah. And so we've seen that offers have come in on those, but they've been proposed. They're negotiating different price, different terms. So, so does the does the real estate agent re, like so that you sim, they submit the pre approval, the real estate agent reviews it, and then they have to like click a button to like allow bidding or something? Yeah. Okay. To approve it. Yeah. Yeah. Approve it. yeah. So they can't make the offer until that pre approval is actually approved by the listing agent. Got it. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, you can't, if, if you're in the heat of the moment, 20 minutes can go quick. You're not going to get a loan officer. To revise a letter, let's say. Or you're not going to get the agent to review it and approve you right. in that 20 minutes, maybe. Well, they, if they're out to lunch or Depending. Eating. So yeah, if, the, if you have your pre-approvals for a million and now you're yeah. looking to make yeah. a million yeah. one bid, right? Like you're yeah. not you're not allowed to accept that because you mentioned you don't have like a financing or inspection contingency. So, you know, you, now, so okay, kinda, sorry. you, you so have you, to be a prepared buyer is what I'm yeah. trying to get at. Exactly. So yeah. you'll, you'll know what you're approved up to to bid through the platform. And as you get closer to that, the system will send you an alert that, hey, you need to increase your buying power if you want to continue to bid. Now, does the can the seller supersede the agent and accept an offer whenever they want within the platform? With well, Not when the clock started, no. So the seller, once they're in the platform from a seller perspective, but why they're just watching to, what's happening. You know, I mean, if you were the, in a- The agent is the facilitator still and in control of that transaction. Got it. Correct. Correct. The seller has no ability. It's the agent that can modify Correct. the specific terms. terms within the transaction in the platform, not yeah. the seller. The seller just gets purely notifications. That's right. Purely notifications, but also like in the last <clears throat> couple hours, they can be an active participant in the negotiation. What I mean by that is like if you had a final offer that were too high, and you had two people that were neck and neck and maybe they're getting close to you. You can see that they're getting close to the top and you want to try and get somebody to come in with cleaner terms where you can lower your final offer. Maybe you like, I did it a couple of weeks ago where I lowered the final offer lower than where the bids were to see if we can get someone to hit it with a cleaner deal. Hmm. That would raise my uh, level of scrutiny. Like if someone's placing a huge value on no home inspection. Well, they knew. Well, no, no, no. There was. What's wrong with your house? Right. Well, we wanted wanted more of the financing dropped, right? We didn't care about the the inspection wasn't the Mm -hmm. thing. We were trying to get them to drop finance contingencies. And they ultimately didn't end up doing it. But when I talked to the the two buyers that lost afterwards, well, the two buyers agents that lost afterwards, and I said, did you guys understand what I was doing? I said, yeah, we fully, we fully understood what you were getting. You were trying to get the, the yeah. off the deal to be cleaner. And they were just like, look, the, the client wasn't comfortable dropping the finance contingency. So they weren't, they weren't upset by it, but they understood what I was trying to do. And it's just the same, it's the same way. It's just it's the same things that you would try to do in today's world to get cleaner offers. But you're just seeing it happen in real time. Yeah. And you're countering everyone at the same time. Yeah. I'm not just calling you and mm-hmm. saying, hey, Mark, see if you yeah. get your buyer to drop the finance contingency, mm-hmm. we'll do the deal. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has the opportunity to do it. And the nice thing for the, you know, for the buyers, like it's, it's frustrating with buyers. I mean, I listen, we've got 700 agents in our office, right? And I listen to these guys week in and week out talking about how frustrating it is where they're, you know, they're writing eight to 10 offers on a weekend and, they're getting shut out, right? And the buyer then starts to wonder, hey, is it the agent's fault? Is it this? Is it that? Are we doing everything that we could do? And at least here, they can they can see it. They can see why they're losing and they can take the data points that they're getting week in and week out from bidding on the platform and use them as they go to the next week, the, the, new, the new listings that come on the following week, right? And so what we're seeing is, we, you know, we're the only... We're the only site where, where these comps that have not closed exist. So we have data that no one else has. It kind of scares me, though, as a buyer, if I'm bidding so much higher than, like you were saying, it's like 114% over or whatever it is with no contingencies and my appraisal comes in and then I'm fucked. Well, we think this, you know, I think eventually 
we could probably help with the appraisal process out a little bit too. And we can bring in a summary sheet that shows there were six buyers and the next two buyers were within $20,000 of where you were. Mm, yeah. You just did what you had to do to get the house, right? And so what's market value? Market value is what someone's willing to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, yes, I guess, but a, a, an appraisal only looks at what? Closed transactions, right? Closed transactions, but the closed transactions, I mean, if you look at closed transactions, you could be trailing it by 90 to 120 days. And you guys know, I mean, the market changes like that. And that's where that's what we've been able to see in D.C. Like we could see, we went down there, it was more of a buyer's market and it's totally flipped towards uh, to the seller side now. And we could see it happening in real time. Because things were just starting to bid. People were starting to hit things. They were selling higher, higher, higher. And there's a couple zip codes down there where we, you know, we're probably 30% of the market's on final offer. And so we can get a really good gauge of what's going on in those. Oh, you've really got areas. some good traction down there. Yeah. We, I mean, if, I wish we had the, uh, <laughs> the map up. Yeah. We, yeah. If we have the map up. You can see where, well, we can show it to you afterwards. But I think appraisals are kind of useless because to your point, they, the market pays what the market pays. It's like the stock market. You can't just say, oh, well, I think it's overvalued, so I'm just going to pay less for the stock or, you know, crypto plummeted after that whole thing totally. imploded. I mean, real estate's far more stable and mature than that. And there's going to be changes, of course, but that's on the buyer and the lender to figure out. You know, if the lender's yeah. not comfortable, don't lend. And if the buyer can't afford it, then don't buy, don't bid. Totally. Yeah. I had a quick question. Do you see this applying to the rental market? Because we've obviously heard and seen crazy stories in certain places, of course, New York City being one of them, we're hearing more about it here locally, but just harder to get in, harder to make offers or 50 people line up outside a door. Do you think there's any appetite for that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, especially within inner cities where there's a lot of demand, there definitely is, right? So just to be forthcoming with what the process is gonna be and make it easier for folks. We have younger people on our team and they, they've walked us through the rental process and they're writing the love letters and they're crossing their fingers and they're hoping hoping that they get get it accepted, right? So you've got the same type of opportunity there um, for both sides of the transaction, right? It benefits mm -hmm. both parties. It really does. And I mean, when we first launched in DC, it was like here, like what was the market like in Boston back in November and December for condos or even now to a certain extent? Pretty quiet. Those developers were able to move a lot of units by using this, just being a bit, a bit, a bit more forthcoming. And whether they got multiple offers or not didn't matter. It was the fact that they were able to put something out there that people trusted that actually got them to the table. You look at foreclosures and you look at REO properties, bank-owned stuff, and it is unbelievable that they actually still to this day have an auctioneer standing on a stoop with the people who are actually available at 11 a.m. to get a cashier's check for 50 grand to come and stand on the front lawn and put their hand up. Like... I mean, it's a little bit of a tangent. I think that's a, sta I think that's a state. Why would that's you ever? a state law requirement. No, because I think that these banks can adopt technologies just, just yeah. like final, you know. Or, or even like a, no, I thought yes. like certain no, states, like there. some states you have to, like you have to, like Massachusetts, it has to be in front of the property. Some states allow you to do it in front of, like they allow you to do like you go a hundred. Town, so, yeah, like a hundred auctions at a time, like at the All town. I can tell you is that I've seen a lot of bank-owned properties on different platforms that yeah. i know but one time still, in new hampshire i went to a town hall center and they did a bunch of different parcels i do think dan's right there we'll we'll verify well let's let kevin answer it sounds like he's, he's researched this. <laughs> no i i yeah no that, i mean look that's definitely on the roadmap right i mean it, it makes it easy for banks it actually exposes it and to your point it's like if you can't get there in person yeah why why, why does it matter you're not getting in the house anyways right you're basically totally. you're, yeah you're buying either the land or you're buying the structure or whatever it is. Another, you know, is estate sales, right? Estate sales, technically, you're supposed to leave open until yep. the day of closing, right? And this this would allow people to do that. You'd have to come in and match the terms and close the same mm. way at a higher price, but it would save them a lot of headache. And just to be able to say, hey, look, we had it out there. It's on final offer. If you want to go, go bid on it. Because I feel like, you know, the, the estate sale piece of it, when it goes through MLS, once it goes under contract the first time, it kind of disappears from MLS, right? Like no one really wants mm -hmm. to deal with higher offers coming in. Mm -hmm. And this would allow that to to probably to run the run a better process for the for those people for sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree there. You're following a bunch of properties, something goes under agreement and it either falls off that filter because it's not the default filter or you just say, well, that one's gone or they're accepting backups. Sorry, I'll throw a flyer out there. But yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. to your point, Mark, I, I agree. And Dan, 
I don't see how it benefits a buyer. It definitely benefits a seller. I do see how it could benefit a buyer in that regard of transparency and knowing what's happening. But again, you're and you're. It seems like you're always ending with a higher price. But that I suppose is the nature of the beast, right? You either want the property or you don't. I mean, uh, uh, like that's what's happening today, right? Like people are losing three to four homes, and then they finally go in and they make this big offer, and they're yeah. like, "Hey, uh, they just go out that week, and they're like, i 'I'm not losing this week.' Like, right? yeah. How right. so, how will, how do you think it will work in a down market? So I think it works well, like when like as we talked, right? Like in a down market, what motivates people to transact? It's value. It's all perception of value, and you can still create a competitive environment as long as you have it priced well. To the same point, you you go out at a price that's too aggressive. You make a you make a substantial reduction, and all of a sudden you have interest, right? Or you look at what your competition on the market is, and you cut it in. You come in slightly lower. You create the competition that way. And we did it in 07, 08. I mean, when I was at that time, there was a guy that Cobalt Banker hired who came in and that was his whole thing. It was like energy pricing on on things. And it, and it works, right? And like, cause people will still, if they perceive something to be a deal and they have to sell, your client has to sell, that's the best way to do it. You'd rather, because I think in, in that, you, you'd rather be the one creating leverage for yourself than going out at a higher price and then having to deal with one buyer and, and working towards their terms, right? And so the seller is the one that has the asset. It's just a matter of them being able to take control of the asset and being in, in, in front and having someone work for them that understands how to do that. Have you ever seen anybody list the price for like a dollar to just drum up interest or something? We haven't, low number? we haven't yet. But. <laughs> and now uh, we have a pretty wide audience uh, listener base. What's your BlackRock Vanguard? What's your final offer for the company? Oh, <laughs> you have a number? You ever thought about that? <laughs> Because I could see them scooping it up and uh, trying yeah. a lot of time, right? It's a good question. I'm just, I, I joke, but not really. <laughs> well, our last company we did for nine figures, and we're like, we want to blow that out of the water. So this is a huge opportunity, and this is uh, this isn't just real estate. So we have patents pending on this, but this is global, and it's not just for real estate. It's any asset, right? So you start to think about how could you trade. We were talking to some folks yesterday about. They're like, yeah, you know, we're trying to win deals. Like they're trying to the exact thing, right? Like you got VC companies coming in trying to buy to could be any uh, asset, really, in, right? You got a private equity coming out and buy one, and all of a sudden, what do they do? They go shop it. They go shop it. And so, what if you were more forthcoming with that? That's again, it's a different type of marketplace, but there's different areas this could go. Or like tech companies that are looking for capital, like that whole transaction. Instead of like shopping around for term sheets, they can just submit all their term sheets to the final offer. You could. So real estate's our number one right now. So awesome. and for the foreseeable future, but it's been, uh, it's cool. And like, that's the one thing. I mean, Kevin, you could say it, any of the agents that have used this, they're like, our clients love us, but like our clients are for life now. Like this experience for them has been something that's very different from what they typically have gone through. I think it brings a lot of transparency to somewhat shady business. Yeah, I mean, that's one way of putting it. Just all about like sketchiness, shadiness, uh, ethics. Am I too young to be this cynical? Yeah. He's been in it. I mean, and he's probably been on the wrong side of some of these deals too, right? And so, I mean, even as a seller, like to to know that your agent has your best interest at heart, I'm I'm not always so sure. Like, being really clear, like, did you take an offer because it was convenient and you're going away next week because you don't want to keep showing it? Is this the best price? Did you take it because you're getting both sides and I didn't even know about something? Like this shit yeah. happens. Yeah, was there another buyer? Sorry. There, right? Yeah. yeah. It, uh, I mean, look, we've Tim and I have met with probably close to 400 agents. And mm. some of the stuff that's come across our, that we've come across with people has, has been mind-blowing. But yeah, I mean, look, there's a, there is a part of me too that's like, hey, you know, this is what I've done for my entire career, right? And I and I and I've taken pride in it, right? And we and I've put a lot of time in and a lot of hours in, and you know, I take I take the job seriously, right? And there's the barrier of entry for this this industry is just far too low, and so if we're able to help clean up the image and and maybe get rid of some people that are doing things that aren't doing things the right way, then, you know, so be it. I mean, that's kind of the, how do we do that for the developers? <laughs> I was going to say, how do you do this for the car industry? Talk about another area right for oh, this God. process. Right. With that, how do folks find out more about uh, your platform, a final offer? 
Yeah, they can go to our website. We've actually got a lot of videos starting to get up there. So if they want to check it out, check, take a tour on a webinar, check out some videos, they'll be able to see what's there. And the, to the point that you were making earlier, folks can go on there. They can save a search. All you got to do is put an email address in mm-hmm. and you'll start seeing offers come in. So if it's in a market around the Boston area that you're interested in, do it. As listings come on, you're going to see them come on and then you're going to start to see offers come in in real time. It's game changing for buyers because they can start to see what's happening in the market in real time. And for people that are selling, they're like, wait a second, they got what? Or they had how many buyers on there? And they're calling their agent saying, we want to move forward. And, and there's a video on the on the homepage that basically will tell you exactly what final offer is and nice. how it works. Good luck, guys. It's an awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you guys for, thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening, Great. subscribing, rating, reviewing. Catch you on the next one. All Cheers. Right. Thanks, guys. I guess.